We're positive this is a frog and not some sort of small passerine bird, right? Okay, so I'm going to just level with you because it's not cool to try and trick you. This may or may not be a frog. Oh. It's not a frog. It's not a frog. It's not a frog this time. What have you tracked down? If it's not a frog, then odds are it's a gecko. Because I don't think that was any sort of crocodilian. Nah, it's a bit too squeaky for a crocodile. It would have to be one tiny crocodile, which... That would be brilliant if we could have tiny crocodiles. That would be adorable. They're not really known for it, though, are they? Yeah. So, gecko is where it's going to be. And considering my prior knowledge of what the rest of this episode's going to carry, I reckon it's going to be a gecko from Indonesia, I'm going to take my bet. Because it's got plenty of geckos there. I think odds are it's going to be a hemidactylus of some form because there's plenty of species in hemodactylus and they're very common therefore people have got recordings of them and it's a good strategy to go common hemodactylus god i can't think of any actual specific hemodactylus species shamefully you've got phrenatus is the only one comes to mind i'm gonna bring up a list because there's i reckon we're gonna i think the fasciatus Gotta be. Fasci- I'll go with that. Hemodactylus fasciatus. <laughs> no? Branded leaf-toed gecko. <laughs> What's it called? What's the common name? The banded leaf-toed gecko. It's not that, I'm afraid. I wanted one with a common name. That's what I wanted. Oh, really? Yeah, that was a good call. I think this actually was probably one of the ones which listeners will be getting at home, I would suspect. I think there'll be at least a few people who recognise that sound. And the reason for that is it's actually the call of the crested gecko, Corolophus ciliatus. Oh, fair play, mate. Good effort tracking that down. I found it. I got it off a uh, YouTube video of somebody who's filming their pet gecko. And my understanding is that they make this sound either when they're slightly upset i think there's like a a bit of variation in the noises they make but they can make a sound when they're upset and they can also make a sound when they're communicating with each other in like a sort of mating capacity so i think prior to and during mating they'll vocalize but i think that sound that you heard is the noise of a crested gecko which is a little bit put out it's freaked out it's not happy it's protesting something is my understanding Mm -hmm. i'm ready to be corrected by crested gecko owners but yeah that's as i perceive it and of course this is a very popular pet reptile the crested gecko and they're from new caledonia which is a french territory that comprises dozens of islands Yeah, dozens of islands in the South Pacific. So we are, imagine Australia, go east. Before you get to Fiji, you bump into New Caledonia. (laughs) Quite a bit before you get to Fiji, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of equidistant between Australia and Fiji. And there's a lot of miles of ocean. And yeah, it's a large gecko, not as big as some of its close relatives, like the Lichianus, the gigantic one. But it grows to around 20 centimetres in length. And it was actually thought to be extinct, the crested gecko. But it was rediscovered on the... Ile des Pins, or the Isle of Pines, which is a small island at the bottom of New Caledonia. It was rediscovered in the 1990s. So yeah, that was the call you heard. It was thought to be extinct? Yeah, it was thought to be extinct, yeah. Huh. So did it exist in other places other than that island, or it's always just been from that island and it's just hard to find? Ben, Ben, these questions are getting too complicated. Yeah, I know, but... (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, mate. I don't know okay. the uh, evolution history of the individual species particularly, if I'm being completely honest. But yeah, they were discovered to still be alive, which is obviously great. Right? Is you don't great. want something yes. like a crested gecko. I mean, the species itself is at no risk of going extinct 
truly, truly, because there's like tens of thousands of them in captivity. But yeah, it's obviously better, better that they're out there in the wild still. And this is a Patreon episode for Will Jewell. So thanks, Will. Will suggested that we do he originally wanted an episode about turtle frogs, which are called Myobatrachus guldi. Yeah, which is They're a really good funny. Like, legit yeah. good choice. Downside is, paper-wise, yeah. <laughs> not a chance. There really aren't any papers about them that yeah, I can find like, at all. Well, no. So his second choice was um, anything in the genus Rachidactylus, which is the... Now it's like gargoyle geckos, and I think lychee geckos are still in Rachidactylus. But again, like literally very, very, very little sparse information. So I went for this paper we're going to do, which is kind of like a bit of everything. But yeah, crested geckos, no longer Rachidactylus. They're now Corolophus. But yeah, we've got some good stuff about Rachidactylus geckos. <laughs> this is the thing. It's still about them. It's just the scale has changed. Yeah, totally, totally. That's very true. Yeah. And it is quite a scaled out episode we're going to do. But before we get into the paper, I just want to mention... I didn't know this. Obviously, crested geckos are called crested geckos because they have the really adorable spines across the top of their heads, sort of like... Yeah, a little eyebrow... Not eyebrows. Eyelashes. I always think of them yeah, as they eyelashes. Are. Yeah, Yeah. Very glamorous geckos. Yeah, that's where they get the species name, ciliatus. Right. Cilia. Like, ciliatus... That makes what does sense. That mean? Cilia? Wiggly, wiggly bits? <laughs> yeah. Does it mean, like, little spiky bits? I think it does. I wouldn't be surprised. It makes it sense. It means fine hairs there from the go. Latin yeah. cilia, which obviously refers to their funny little eyebrows. And something I didn't know about these guys that I found out about crested geckos in the course of reading for this paper is that they don't only have sticky toes that are capable of sticking to pretty much anything, but they also have sticky tails. Yeah, that's pretty neat, isn't it? Yeah, and they can hold five times their body weight with their little tail, yeah. which is mad. But I mean, that's arboreal beasties for you. Like, it's super useful to have what essentially operates as a additional limb or grabbing point. Yeah, totally. So let's get into the paper we're going to discuss. It's by Skipwith, Bauer, Jackman and Sadlia, published in 2016. Old, but not ancient. Coalescent species tree of New Caledonian geckos reveals recent post-inundation diversification. Pretty wordy. Journal of Biogeography. Yeah. Yeah, so phylogenetic biogeography paper. Naturally, the methods are dense and complicated. Yeah, the methods are dense and complicated, so we won't go into a mad amounts of detail, but suffice to say that this is a biogeographical paper, so we're looking at the geographic distribution of animals. How are these geckos distributed? Where are they? And how did they get there? What is their history to end up in right. the way that they are? And that's kind of like phylogeography, biogeography. Yeah. Inferred from their genes. And that's what set this paper aside from previous stuff is they had way more data on that front than what had come before, both in terms of like the bits of the genome they're looking at and the number of species they were working with, I believe. Yes, they did very well for their uh, species coverage. And so, yeah, we're looking at essentially all of these geckos in New Caledonia. What's the story behind them? When did they get there? What ha- like the history of geckos on New Caledonia? Because obviously, it's an island. Geckos had to arrive sometime. Well, and what happened? Endemics. A lot of them are endemic, so it's not just a case of, oh yeah, there's geckos there too. It's there's special geckos there. All of the species native to New Caledonia are endemics. Yeah, yeah, all of them. There are lots of introduced species because that's what humans do. Lots of geckos confusing the picture, but the ones that evolved there themselves are all endemic. And there's a lot and- of them. Yeah, there is. There's like over 30 species. And I think once they're all described, there'll probably be over 40 species. Yeah. That's still being worked on. That's an incredible density of gecko species. So it sort of does beg the question, 
why? <laughs> you know, yeah, just that exactly. alone is enough to prompt some curiosity, surely. Why are the geckos there? So let's go back in time, Ben. Take yourself all the way back. Remember that giant supercontinent, Pangaea, that the dinosaurs were just sort of roaming around on doing their yeah, thing? Yeah, I remember well, it fondly. Those were yeah, good days. So, good times. Yeah, flowering plants weren't even about. So that split into two. The southern half was called Gondwana. And New Caledonia broke off this landmass. Well, in historical times, a long time ago. I don't know when that happened. But anyway, it broke off from Gondwana land. It headed east. And then around 37 million years ago, New Caledonia rose above the sea and became the group of islands it is today. So 37 million years since the islands arose. Sounds like a long time to us. But in geological time, it's a relatively short amount of time for a sort of series of islands to actually exist. And as we were saying, we're curious about the historical evolution of geckos on this island after they arrived, what happened. And yeah, using clever dating methods from the DNA evidence that they have, the authors of this paper wanted to test some ideas about how these species evolved and diverged and split into multiple species. Just on that note, do you have a sort of pre-prepared spiel on how you sort of backwork when lineages diverged? I don't, but if you do, amazing. I was hoping you did, because I was hoping that you had more familiarity with these things, with your more species genetics work. But So I can give it a go, and you can... I've heard you describe this quite well in the past, Ben. Right, we'll just go on that sort of basis then. Is that there's like an underlying level of genetic change that sort of just sort of happens in the background, genetic drift, right? And that's meant to happen at a relatively reasonable, reasonably consistent rate. So you can sort of pick apart how much change should have happened in areas that, you know, you're looking at areas of the genome that don't have any sort of selective pressure on them. Because if there's a selective pressure, that's going to drive changes faster. So you find somewhere that's not really selected on, and you've got like a background rate, and you can compare, okay, how different are those, those same section in different species? And that gives you a sort you can sort of back work, okay, they would have been the same X amount of time ago. It would require this amount of time for those changes not to have happened. And that's when you can sort of pick out splits. When you're looking at like that's the actual sort of speciation bit of it, oh my god, they look different. That's all happening in a selective selected bit of the genome. Selective bit of the Yeah, genetics. And the selective parts are the bits which change as animals adapt to their right. surroundings. One that gives a, a, an advantage or disadvantage, whatever. They're, they're all happening randomly, but some of them stick around because they help. Some of them get pushed away because they don't help. So you just want to look at the bit that has no impact on the actual animal's life. Nice conserved bit. And you yeah, work out how many mutations. They're different, and that should give you an idea of when they diverged, right? Yeah, that's a great description. That's a great description. I'm glad Such I didn't try and have one. Such a explanation. And I apologize nah, to people who are actually doing genetics work out there that I'm probably misusing terms and being horribly imprecise with things. But I think that, that at least gives you an idea. It's like there is a constant rate, background rate of mutation that we can sort of work out. Turn that around and you can work out when things separated because you can see how different they were. Exactly. And using these methods, they managed to ascertain some pretty clever things. So it appears that there was a common ancestor of all geckos on New Caledonia. And this common ancestor was also a common ancestor of the geckos in the genus. And this is a mouthful. It's a good one. Pseudothecadactylus. 
Pseudothecodactylus. Yeah. Oh, it gets easier second time. Pseudothecodactylus. Which is an Australian okay, so gecko, right? That's correct. So yeah, 50 million years ago in Australia, there was this common ancestor. That common ancestor diverged into Pseudodithodactylus and another unknown species of gecko, which has subsequently gone extinct. So it's a mystery which one first arrived when it got to New Caledonia. But some sort of ancestral gecko, basically. Ancestral gecko. Yeah. So this mystery and now extinct species rafted its way from Australia to New Caledonia. Right. Because we knew where it came from, because it's an Australian lineage, and we know that New Caledonia was not connected by any sort of land formation to Australia at this time. Exactly. Yeah. So rafting. Sometime in the last thirty-seven surfed million years. Yeah, they surfed over, and it would have had to have been multiple geckos because obviously they've got to breed and stuff. So yeah, some point geckos in the last eight- Parthenogenesis question mark one the morning gecko ah one documented. Yeah. One, oh, I like the way you think. Morning gecko, really cool. A friend, morning two of my friends. Early day or morning as in sad? Morning as in sad. Oh. Maybe they're morning. The puffnogenesis that they have to experience. Well, yeah, but that's just, I don't know if that's a good thing to say. I don't know why you'd mourn that. It seems like an incredible adaptation. <laughs> All female population and you can go anywhere, do anything. You don't have to breed. I mean, maybe they're mourning the lack of opportunities to mutate. Yes. Maybe. Anyway, yeah, uh, two of my friends, Becca and Guillaume, shouts to Becca and Guillaume, have a colony of them and they're really nifty little geckos and they just lay eggs all over the place. They're just like constantly like reproducing more morning geckos. It gets a little bit out of control. That's got to have some negative long-term consequences just relying on pathogenesis, right? I feel like in geological time, it will betray them. But in the short right. term, like, wow. Because look at the Brahmini blind snake. It's like the most successful snake species on the in the planet. And it's pathogenetic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe it won't persist indefinitely. But right now, crushing it. Um, 37 million years ago, the islands rose up. In the last 37 million years, probably uh, somewhere around 20 million years ago, the gecko ancestor first rafted its way to New Caledonia. And when it arrived... What would it have faced? Well, it would have been the first nocturnal reptile on the island. So after arriving, there would be this wealth of opportunity, loads and loads of niches that were not filled by lizards. A new gecko paradise. Totally. And as you might expect, this wealth of opportunity led to a lot of diversification. Probably species diversifying to fill niches, even though they were sort of next door neighbours. There might be one that scuttles up the trees, one that's sort of living on the beach, one that's living in the hedges, all this kind of stuff. It makes me want to draw comparisons with the whole Anolis stuff in the Caribbean, where you get ones, again, yeah, living in the trees, living lower down, Saxicolis, and they all have slight adaptations to their little feet, just to give them that edge. And they can all live in essentially the same place, but making use of very different resources. Yeah. I still feel compelled to define the word saxicolis. Living amongst it rocks. Rock dwelling. Yeah. yeah it it's a good dwelling. one, though, isn't it? Fans of the podcast know it. So, um, yeah, this obviously led to rapid diversification. And as we said, now there's over 30 species, probably more than 40 species. They've just been crushing it ever since they arrived. That's the key, the crux of this paper is that in very recent times, so we're talking like the last, what, like 15 million years, certainly, all of this diversification has been going on. I was going to sort of just jump on your 20 million year ago date of arrival because it sort of becomes a little bit circular, doesn't it? Because that's ID'd by this sort of explosion in diversification, right? 
Well, the explosion was more like sort of 15 to sort of four million years ago, I'd say. Yeah. Where does the 20 million arrival date come from? That was just a rough estimate because you can see there was, they've dated the common ancestor to like around 40. And then the first split among the geckos in New Caledonia took place around 15. So I just gave 20 as like a rough estimate. Yeah. So this this was just sort of my point is that the rates, this sudden sort of explosion and where it looks like they're all splitting off because they're all like, oh, whoa, look at all the... It makes it sound very active and like a decision, but that's not the case. It's, you know, it just sort of happens. We're talking about millions of individual geckos living their lives over geological time right. and slowly but surely branching into... Right, it's species. not they arrive and be like, all right, everybody take your niche and grow weird arms. No. Um, we're sort of IDing that arrival time as the point where this diversification is occurring, it feels weirdly circular, but it makes sense theoretically, doesn't it? That you get presented with a new situation with all these niches and diversification occurs. And you're like, okay, when did they arrive? Oh, it must have been when the diversification sort of kicked off. You see how there's like a slight bit of circular logic there? Mm. That There's not really a additional external bit of evidence to be like, yep, there we go, there they arrived then. I know they mention it in the paper, but I can't remember what they say about it with lineages that have gone extinct, because that's the other sort of thing. You never have full information when it comes to these phylogenetic biogeography things, because you you know that you're missing species that no longer exist or you have no evidence for. So that adds a little bit of uncertainty surrounding these dates as well. It doesn't undermine what they're saying in the paper at all. Like, that's not the point of what I'm saying. It's more just... It all just fits very nicely together. <laughs> and the dates, you know, 20 million to 15 million, okay, it's just five either way, which is fine when you're talking about geological timescales, but there is still a lot of uncertainty in aspects of this, right? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously you've got this diversification as a result of finding all the niches, but even in the time since they arrived, there's been quite dramatic changes to... New Caledonia, apparently this big band of rock in the middle has been eroded, which has caused sort of like low-lying areas, as I understand it, to kind of come around in the middle. And there's also been climate change, which has changed the kind of um, vegetation on the island in various places. So it's not like they've arrived and it's remained the same. Since they arrived, there's also been climate change, which has like further isolated populations and caused more speciation events. Yeah. So there's a lot going on on New Caledonia. And you've got these little islands off to the sides that they highlight for some of the more recently diverged species. What are we talking like five, four, three million years ago? Do you have these... More rafting events yeah, from the big islands exactly. The so islands. you've got this big rafting event from... Well, I say big. It's only big because there's that many species came out of it and it's coming from a bigger place. But you've got this initial one from Australia. Then you have the same pattern happening again to these littler islands, but you can sort of... They're probably not going to become as diverse on these little islands because there's probably less diversity of environment to prompt that. But it's the same process happening smaller within sort of New Caledonia and that whole... Is it technically an archipelago? Group of islands? I'll go with group of islands. I'm not sure if it's truly an archipelago. Yeah, I'm not sure. So yeah. Head, long story short, 37 million years ago, New Caledonia popped up. Yep. Brave geckos arrived in some time in the sort of following 10, 15 million years, 20 million years. After that, diversified rapidly, filling up all the gecko niches. 
And this rapid diversification was then compounded by subsequent climate change. And now we have this incredible diversity of geckos. Yeah, many of which are extremely charismatic. You know, we're talking about gargoyle geckos, Rachidactylus auriculatus. Is that right? Yeah, auriculatus. So. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, you know, other things like the big, big Chihua geckos, which are um, Niara gecko Chahua. They're extremely cute. Yeah, they're super cute. And the gigantic ones, which are Rachidactylus lichianus. So yeah, some really cool geckos. There was a lot of ones which I'd not really heard of as well. A lot of these like Bavaya, I'd not heard of as a genus. Deera gecko, another yeah. little I mean, it's genus just incredible the numbers of... on this quite yeah. small island. How big is New Caledonia and surrounding islands? Good question, actually. I don't have that written down anywhere. It's about 500 kilometers long, it looks like. The Grand Terre. Yeah, oh, which isn't yeah. massive. Maybe 400, actually. Yeah, it's not massive. Not massive. But yeah, really cool, really cool study. And yeah, just geckos. I'm just amazed by this rafting ability. And um, it really does demonstrate their kind of remarkable survivability. And obviously, this is the advantage of being a reptile. If you're not wasting time producing heat, you can actually go for quite a long time without food and water. And I found this newspaper article actually from um, this year published in the independent and the headline was tiny geckos survives 4,800 mile trip from china to uk among musical instruments and um, this was an asian house gecko which they nicknamed thin lizard because i think it had, oh, had a hard no. time <laughs> it was pretty rapey yeah, when it arrived surprised. but it was an asian house gecko which we were talking a little bit about earlier hemidactylus frenatus oh, and this gecko was Frenatus. Sealed that's what it was a- i knew there was a I'm kicking myself for forgetting that. <laughs> I think I said it as well. You just didn't just hear didn't, me because you were busy looking for more geckos. It's overwhelmed um, by the but geckos. Yes, I am. And there's a lot of geckos. But anyway, this thing was sealed in an ocean shipping container in October 2021. And five months at sea later, it arrived in, in the UK in February of this year. And it was still alive. So obviously a shipping container is probably not quite as desperate of a situation as a raft at sea. I mean, you'd at least think they've got shade and probably some moisture. But I can't imagine there was that many bugs available in maybe the shipping some container. Moths. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess it really depends. Maybe if there was a light in there, it's probably laughing. But um, yeah, it just goes to show they can raft long distances. And that species is actually an invasive in New Caledonia as a result of yes. things like this occurring. But I bet you this one would have been absolutely gutted when it realised it was in the frigid UK and not some delightful new place. Yeah, it's, that's, that's bad luck, Gecko. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, the the rafting is remarkable. It's always surprising, but the frequency at which it pops up, because that's the other thing they highlight in this paper, is like, this is a really nice example of rafting followed by rapid diversification, probably prompted by a wonderful selection of sort of different niches and opportunities for these geckos to take advantage of. Yeah, exactly. Really cool. Really cool paper. And um, yeah, I just love, I just think New Caledonian geckos, I'm probably, I was already interested in them, but now I'm kind of like borderline obsessed by them. They're so cool. (laughs) Yeah. I've had the opportunity to like hold a Lichianus gecko as well. And those things are whopping. They are just amazing. And um yeah, I just love it. Their little skin flaps. They're just amazing. Yeah. I mean, Lichianus geckos, I don't know how long they get, like over 30 centimetres for sure. Easy. Maybe even 40, 50. Not sure. Maybe even more. But um, they're big. And I think that just about does it, though, doesn't it, for our episode on geckos of New Caledonia. So thank you very much to Will Jewell 
our patron who selected that episode. And if you'd like to do the same, you can become our patron at patreon.com slash herp highlights. And have you got any other business, Ben? No, I don't know any other business from me this week. Okay. I have one thing, a correction from Eric Summers. Somers. So this was something I said back in episode 129. So Eric sent us an email, said, I love your show. Thanks, Eric. I am a desert tortoise biologist and I have a lot of radio telemetry experience with Gopherus agassizi. Gopherus agassizi. Is this going to be about Which is the gopher tortoise. No, not quite. But yeah, so that's the gopher tortoise. And he said, never observed a tortoise back into their burrow. They always go in head first and they often perform maintenance by digging because I said they go in backwards. I don't know where I got that idea, but I said it was such conviction. But they don't. They go in forwards. Well, and generally do they speaking, come out backwards or do they do a little three-point turn in the tunnel? Well, it says here, generally speaking, the burrow width is at least the maximum carapace length. Ah, so, so they can long, rotate. How long the shell is. Genius. So they can turn. Brilliant. They can turn. The burrows are wide enough for them to turn. And it says they turn around in their burrows anywhere in the tunnel. Eric goes on to say, I'm not a gopherus polyphemus, which is the gopher tortoise. Hang on a sec. That's the gopher tortoise. Yeah. Gopherus agassizi is the desert tortoise. Gopherus polyphemus is the gopher tortoise. Ah. So although Eric doesn't study gopher tortoises, does have friends that are and reckons they dash for their burrows head first when they feel threatened. So they're not wasting their time. That makes sense. Into there. Yeah, they that makes sense. It, was... <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. I don't know why I thought <laughs> they were going to like reverse it and do a three point turn. A vulnerable like... point where it's doing a, it's sort of trying to back itself <laughs> yeah. in. It can't really see where it's going because their <laughs> necks are too Classic short. Classic example. Yeah, that was so, that was just dumb. Yeah. Anyway, I think it makes that story about the little dog being stuck in the tour's hole even funnier because it's now they, they, <laughs> they were face looking to face, face to down face. There. <laughs> at least initially <laughs> which is classic oh yeah. dear so yeah thanks very much eric for letting yes us know. that's brilliant adds a much needed piece of context and i think everyone can think higher of these tortoises now <laughs> they've got better design yeah yeah and if anyone else has been listening to this and recognized that we've made a mistake we always love getting corrections yeah please do correct us be it by because of nonsense about radiation from last episode or my poor explanation of divergence times this episode i was impressed by it i bought into it oh, is that blind leading right. the blind though could be yeah so yeah i think that's about it for this episode um if you want to get in touch with us you can herp highlights at gmail.com or on social media and yeah i think all that remains to be said is thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening yeah